hear you this morning. I want to hear from you. Would you make scripture come alive as um, Aaron shares? Would you make our hearts responsive to your voice? Would you make um, our ears um, responsive uh, to what you want to say to us this morning? And Holy Spirit, we want to invite you uh, to speak. We acknowledge that you are alive, you are at work. Yeah. We're here to meet with the living God. Amen. We love you, Jesus. Grateful we get to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Drew. Yes, sir. There are two ways to live. You can call it any number of things. Faith, unbelief. Good, bad, righteous, evil, love, hate. If you are like me, moment of transparency, I have run into a few challenges in my walk with the Lord. Anyone else? The whole Knapp family. And if you're like me, when you run into those challenges in navigating your walk, in pursuing the Lord, and pursuing righteousness, and growing in faith and in love, and you run into like a roadblock, uh, kind of a stopping point, you're stuck. Uh, if you're like me, you, you do a little bit of digging. You do a little bit of investigative work, some forensics to figure out what is it that's going on? What is it? Why is it that I'm getting hung up here on this issue, right? What I want to share with you this morning in my own life personally is what I have found again and again when I do that investigative work, that digging. What I have found is that beneath faith and unbelief, good and bad, righteous and evil, love and hate, is, is two even more fundamental foundational ways of being in the world, of being before God. But to get after that, I'm going to tell you a story from Genesis 11. It's a very short story. It's the story of Babel. So if you have your Bibles, open to Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. They may have already had drawls in certain areas, you know. But they all spoke the same language. And as people moved eastward, this is after the flood, this is just uh, not long after Noah, they found a plain in Shinar that is a very big flat area. And they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone, and they used tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that people were building. 
And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let's go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Uh, I told this story recently to my kids and one of my younger kids said, so I would just wake up the next morning and not be able to understand mom at the breakfast table. And I said, I had always assumed it was by family group, but I guess that's potentially right. I don't know. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that's why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. That's the story. Short, simple. Here's the, here's the gist of the story. You ready for the gist of the story? Mankind learned how to bake mud into bricks with nice flat surfaces, a little easier to work with than rocks, right? A little easier to stack. And after inventing bricks, mankind laid two bricks on top of each other and said, we are gods. What could possibly stop us now? Look what we have made with our own hands, with our own brains. And the fascinating part of this story is that God looked down on them and said, oh, oh wow, there's nothing that they will not be able to do. And so in order to accomplish my purposes, we need to, we need to uh, encourage the spreading out with some conviction so he confused the language. So this is what I want to do this morning. I want to contrast from this story two ways to live before God. So to draw this contrast, it's a contrast that I will call the brick life versus the branch life. Let me read you a passage from John 15. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's the branch. So I want to draw a contrast. And then uh, at the last little piece, I want to unpack how this contrast um, has been shaping my own walk with the Lord. It's the brick life versus the branch life. So here's the deal. And we see this in this story. This is an observation from the story of Babel. Is that God in his wisdom, because he knows everything, right? God in his wisdom has granted us sufficient strength, knowledge, and freedom to decide that we can live independently of him. Isn't that interesting? God has given us capacities, abilities, 
the freedom to exercise those capacities and abilities sufficient that we can look at that and go, oh, hey, I can do it alone. I don't need God. Come, let's build, uh, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Actually, Skip pointed out to me uh, that this is coming right after the flood, right? Why would, we, why would we rest our future on God? If there comes another flood, we need to be able to save ourselves. So let's build something real tall. Here's the first rule of the brick life. My abilities are evidence of my autonomy. This is, uh, this is human nature 101. I have, I have a certain amount of strength. I have a certain amount of knowledge. I have the capacity to use that strength and that knowledge. Therefore, I will be independent of God. You guys realize that from the time of Babel, there has been a continuous line of successive advancements in human technologies. And at each step of advancement, humankind has pointed at their accomplishments and said, we are gods. What can stop us now? In my own research, I came across a postmodern writer made one of the most shocking statements that I've read in my research of postmodernism. He said, rejecting meta-narrative. This is a meta-narrative. A meta-narrative is just a big story that gives meaning to our lives, assigns meaning to our lives. He said, rejecting meta-narrative is one of humankind's most monumental and historic achievements towards self-liberation. Isn't that dark? My abilities are evidence of my autonomy. I have been able to think myself past the need for a God. Branch life lives by a different set of rules. The first rule of the branch life is that my abilities are evidence of my creator. My capacities, my capacity to think, my freedom to act, point me to the designer, the creator. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalms 8, I love this tension. He says, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. Isn't that a wonderful tension? The writer says, you know, when I look in the, at sort of the grand scheme of things in regards to our standing before God, I recognize how small we are. How is it that you even notice us? And at the same time, I recognize that you have given us great capacities that point us to you. My second observation from this story is that God in his wisdom 
has allowed us to experience sufficient dangers, sufficient difficulties, and distance from Him to decide not only that we can live independently, but that we should live independently, that living independently is the better, safer option. Even just this past week, I know I have, and some of you, have been very close to human tragedy. And as we experience the frailty of our situation in the world, as we experience our own weakness, our vulnerability, we decide maybe it's a better option to live independently of God. Maybe we should take ownership of our fate by grabbing hold of it with our own hands. This is the second rule of the brick life. My vulnerability demands defiance. If I am to survive in this world, if I am to make it in this world, it is by raising my fist in defiance of everything that threatens my existence. My daughter Talia told me a story recently a story from a few years ago where she convinced our wonderful neighbors, children, Charlotte and Taylor, Fraley, to leave home. They were going to go out on their own. They were going to live independently. And so they packed a, I didn't even know this at the time, actually I probably still don't know how many times my kids ran away. They packed a satchel of belongings and they headed out on their own up Forest Glen. They made it about a block, and Taylor, the youngest of the three girls, said, I'm out, I can't do this. She returned home. As Talia relays it, I can't remember what they were talking about, but she said to Charlotte, don't you think that that is so stupid? And Charlotte said, Talia, I don't think that you're allowed to say stupid. And Talia said, we're on our own now. We don't live by anyone else's rules. <laughs> She's grounded for 20 years. <laughs> my vulnerability demands my defiance. If I'm going to survive, if I'm going to make it, I've got to do it on my own. I've got to build a tower tall enough to secure my own survival. I can't trust God. This world is too dangerous. There's too many threats. He's too far away. Psalms 10, verse 3 and 4, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. The greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. And all of his thoughts are, there is no God Branch life, rule number two, my vulnerability demands my dependence. It is exactly because of my weakness, because of my smallness, because of my frailty. These things teach me that I am dependent, that there is a God in heaven who supplies my very breath 
which I cannot, which I cannot guarantee for myself. It is my vulnerability that demands my dependence. It is my weakness. And this is the picture of the branch life, is that the branch's only hope is its connectedness to its source. But from any sort of external measure, which one looks more, which one looks stronger, more stable, more likely to survive to you? The brick. My vulnerability demands my dependence. It, 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 it requires me to acknowledge that my existence has a source. Proverbs 69, the man of the mind plans his way, but it is in fact the Lord that directs his steps. It is in fact the Lord that is sovereign over his very existence. It is in fact the Lord who determines. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him, that's the one who bears fruit. But apart from me, you, you can't do anything. Andrew Murray says, the humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature. It is the root of every virtue. And so pride or the loss of this humility is the root of every sin and evil. It is the place of entire dependence upon God. It is the place of connectedness to God from which all of the fruit come, right? I can't produce that on my own. My vulnerability demands my dependence, it requires me to recognize my God. Now, I want to tell you the Christian version of the independent life, the sanitized, approved version, the version that I'm very familiar with and very comfortable with. Brick life rule number three, my favorite one, I must find a way. Are you struggling in your walk with the Lord? I must find a way. You must find a way. You've run into some hang-ups, some challenges. Work harder. Build taller. Make more bricks. It's my ability that is required. If I am to have relationship with God, if I am to experience the virtues that God desires of love, of faith, of righteousness, then I must build my way to him. I'm not pulling off the Christian thing super well. I guess I'll, I'll build with more intentionality. I'll build with more conviction. Brick upon brick upon brick. And maybe if I build tall enough, eventually I'll reach his dwelling, his place of residence. I must find a way. This was actually the whole religion of the Pharisees during the time of Jesus. Matthew 23, they tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders. 
You got to work harder. You got to lift heavier. You got to get in better shape. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Why did the Pharisees do this? Because it was their deeply rooted conviction that that's what God does. God looks from a distance and says, you know, if you would work harder, if you would, if you would build taller, build bigger, you could make it to me. And I find myself constantly succumbing to this temptation. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 the problem is not that you don't have enough bricks. The problem is not that you're not making bricks fast enough or making them big enough or making them strong enough. The problem is what? You've been, you've been cut off from your source. And if you're cut off from that source, why would you expect fruit? Can you produce that fruit on your own as a standalone? Can you make that fruit come? You have no capacity to whatsoever. Branch life rule number three, God will find a way. Not I must find a way. God will find a way. God will find his way to me. In fact, he already has. In the midst of my struggle, what I need is a better, stronger, more resilient connection to him. Branch connected to the vine. That's the abiding life, right? Righteousness, goodness, and love all grow out of the dependent life, the abiding life of God. These are the fruit of the branch life. And I'm telling you again and again, when I find myself hung up on some issue in my life, I go right away to making bricks. I got to build a little better. I got to work a little harder. You got to shoulder the load. And maybe if I can build well enough, I won't be so embarrassed when God shows up and says, what you making, right? Colton, you guys can come up. John 15, 11. The same passage, the abiding passage, the branch and the vine. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I'm, I'm telling you these things so that you can actually fully experience the joy that I intended, the joy that comes from the dependent life, the abiding life, the connected life. It's the life of a branch. How do you move in that direction? It's the continual decision. It's a set of decisions. No matter what you're up against, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your trial or temptation is, to invite God to be a part of everything, to lead in everything, to have the final word in everything, and to walk in fellowship with him through everything, no matter how terrible. That's the life of a branch. No matter what comes, no matter what storms, my only hope of survival, my only hope of producing fruit is my connection to you, my vital connection to you. God, would you give us the supernatural grace that we know only comes from you to repent in our own hearts, in our own lives, of our own efforts to make ourselves 
approved, to make ourselves worthy, would we instead focus our efforts, our energies, um, our mind and our hearts on vital connection to you, the life of dependence, and draw from you our rich source of strength, everything that we need.